1: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Expert Roundtable here on RotoGrinders.com. I am Justin Van Zuden. Might be a little different face for you here this week, but uh, filling in for the great Adam Levitan who couldn't make it this week, I will try to be about half as good as he usually is, and if he, if that's the case, I'll consider it a success. Of course, uh, many of you might know me from other uh articles and videos here on roto grinders daily fantasy handles stl cardinals 84 and uh happy to be filling in and talking some nfl with you on a friday evening and for the first time on a live show i am with the great jm to win uh sir nice to do a show with you finally and uh we've got a well a rather strange slate i guess i'll say in front of us here this week
2: yeah three we're what like three years into <laughs> both being on the same site uh First off, I'd like to say I'm pretty sure Levitan could have made it. He's just too busy partying in Miami, so <laughs> there's that. Uh, also, uh, quick story for any viewers, listeners: uh, I reached out to STL Cards when I was uh, a rookie DFS player. Before I did any any writing, I used to play on Draft Street, rest in peace. And uh, when I made the switch to DraftKings, I reached out to Cards and a few other uh, players that I knew were really good just to ask them the differences between one site and the other. Uh, STL was the only one who got back to me with some really great advice. So much appreciated, uh, long time coming for us to be on a show together. Pumped to be doing this tonight.
1: Oof, glad I responded to that uh, to that <laughs> message. I saved my bacon there. But it was uh, it was a what well, like a
2: pm on uh rotor grinders which I'm sure I have about oh, a man. thousand of those I've never responded uh, yes.
1: to. Yes, I I'm occasionally check those and then like, "Oh, sorry I didn't respond to so and so." Uh but yeah, it's uh usually easier, easier to re- reach out on the Twitter machine. You got a better chance of getting a response yeah, there, right. but uh um yeah, Draft Street, that's probably what grabbed me. I was one of the bigger players over there and uh, as you mentioned, RIP, and uh, it's uh, you know it was it was a change at first going to DK and a little bit more on on FanDuel, but uh, it's been a long time. I'm sure a good chunk of our listeners have no idea what uh, Draft Street even is. So speaking it's, uh,
2: of though, this is kind of like a Draft Street style slate, right? I mean, like Draft Street was known for its tight pricing, and this week it's on DraftKings. I mean, there's very little value to love, uh, makes it an interesting slate to dig into. Definitely one of the ugliest slates I can remember seeing in a while. Um,
1: Yeah. One of the more challenging slates. You had a Thursday night game, of course, and the Sunday and Monday night games. And then this week, I mean, a a bigger difference is there's two Saturday games this week. So those are off the main slate. And, right, it's like we're dealing with bye weeks all over again. You got just 11 games on the main slate this week.
2: Yeah, 11 games. And then with flex scheduling, we've got some better matchups moving to other spots. Uh, We have injuries. We have Teams that have kind of mailed it in. So there's a lot this week. That's just um, it's kind of a war of attrition this week and finding finding the best plays. One thing I'll say before we get into position by position, uh, I think this is an important week to realize that it's still valuable to have somebody you like at every position. I mentioned on this show last week, I think it was that uh, that Grant Neefer a couple of weeks ago, the week that Julio Jones put up 50 points. Grant did not have him in cash games and still cashed uh, with all of his cash game teams. I believe cashed in tournaments as well because he got basically 18 to 20 points from every player. I think it's important on a week like this without a lot of value to realize you're still trying to get a good player at every position. That might mean making some sacrifices on players you really want, but um, give you a better team from top to bottom is, is definitely a way to approach this slate.
1: I started thinking about this earlier today. Could you imagine if NBC would have flexed the New England-Pittsburgh game into Sunday <laughs> night and that game wasn't on the main slate? Just I know, right? Hey, that's your, that's your
2: like favorite game of this week, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. You got a 53 total in that game. And, um, you know, I guess they did it because Pittsburgh would have been, that would have been like four straight primetime games or something like that for them. So uh, I don't know what the, that's against the, uh, the rules or whatnot. But instead we've got Dallas and Oakland on Sunday night. In uh, New England and Pittsburgh, playing the the late afternoon game. But uh, you mentioned it, I mean, teams that have packed it in. There's there's a few games on this slate that'll just kind of make you say "meh." Uh, really, not a, a whole lot to to dig into and talk about. And and when it's already just an eleven game main slate, it does make those options at each position you know that much thinner. And if you're rolling with it, if you're a heavy tournament player and you're building a ton of lineups and you're, you know, looking through your list of running backs and wide receivers and what have you. And you notice that you have a narrower pool this week. It's probably, I mean, you're probably not the only one that's facing those same struggles. Um, You know, with injury concerns out there, we just don't know. We don't know about Leonard Fournette. I mean, uh, there's other situations that we're going to have to monitor. And this time of year, you'll, you'll get more and more of those that come down to the wire On Sunday afternoon and I mean just in general is there a situation that you're watching the closest as far as injuries go or um, you know that uh, that you're really hoping maybe I can get a value piece if somebody is out this week
2: I think that the Vontaze Perfect uh, concussion him not getting cleared is a bigger difference maker than a lot of people realize Um, probably the the other big one will be waiting on Fournette but I think there's a lot of value at the running back position which we can get into once we get to running backs but um but yeah if uh if Fournette's out chris ivory averaged 20 touches per game without Fournette earlier this year so that'll be a good spot to go as well there are definitely some places to pay down at running back not as much at wide receiver this week
1: all right with that we'll get into quarterbacks here and you could argue a one-man top tier if you want to just throw tom brady by himself uh russell wilson obviously showed us last week that he still has that upside even in difficult matchups uh, against the Jaguars and his ability to run, you know, you talk four or five points with rushing yards every week and 40 or 50 rushing yards might not seem like a lot, but that's a passing touchdown uh, if you get 40 rushing yards and, you know, he had some good garbage time numbers, put ended up with 271 yards and three touchdowns. So Wilson has been super consistent. Uh, You look at his last four games have all been 24 DraftKings points or higher. Uh, So Brady at 7.6, Russell Wilson at 7.3. Then with Wentz out of commission, you got Aaron Rodgers coming back. I mean, it's, it's kind of a narrow top tier at quarterback. And then to your point, you know, it's tough to build a lineup this week. So do we really want to spend top dollar at the quarterback position or should we look to save? I mean, this Pittsburgh pass defense has shown a lot more leaks the last few weeks, I think Tom Brady does get on track here. The big question for me is, do we have the flexibility with salary to fit Tom Brady into uh, comfortably into a lineup or even in a cash game lineup? I mean, is Tom Brady the guy you're looking to, or is this a position where this week it's pretty imperative to save at the quarterback position?
2: I've gone with rosters both ways. Uh, I'm going to knock your socks off and say, I've not put Brady on a single roster this week. Um, so I know you'll have some disagreements there. I prefer Russ over Brady. Uh, a couple of reasons why I think that with Russ, what we basically are looking for with Russell Wilson is um, the, the big issue obviously is just that their coaching staff refuses to unleash him until deeper into the game or until forced to do so. But in a, a likely shootout with injuries in the Seahawks secondary, we expect the Rams to put up points. They're second in the NFL and points scored. Uh, both teams, whoever wins this game, basically, you know, locks up the division with you know two more wins down the stretch for Seattle, and and the Rams just need one more win if they win this one. So I think both teams will get aggressive in this one, and that's exactly the type of spot where we like Russ. Um, he's shown that matchup is not a huge concern. Whereas Brady, I mean, the uh, the Patriots are basically a team that doesn't rely on a shootout in order to be aggressive. They stay aggressive every game. So I know that the Pittsburgh defense has shown cracks through the pass uh, lately, but with Joe Hayden likely to come back, I actually expect them to tighten up a little bit. It won't surprise me if the Patriots run it 30 plus times. They did it against the Chargers. They did it against the Bills. Uh, there was one other spot where uh, the matchup tilted toward the run, and they ran 30 times. In two of those, Brady threw only 30 times. So I think that there's a slight risk. I mean, I expect Brady to have a good game, but I just think that Russ is a little bit safer with the same ceiling. Um, and then right below that, in tournaments, uh, I love Aaron Rodgers. I'm not willing to go there in cash with, uh, with rust and just with how cautious this Packers team is with injuries. I mean, I think we could see them call a pretty conservative game. And then uh, obviously Roethlisberger right below that is also a strong play. The one concern with Roethlisberger and, and with this game as a whole is that the Steelers, I think, are 25th in red zone offense and Patriots are 7th in red zone defense. Patriots are top five in fewest points allowed this year in spite of being 29th in yards. And this is years that they've been like this. You know, they allow a ton of yards and then tighten up near the end zone. So I think we could see, I mean, yards are going to be there for Antonio Brown, for Le'Veon Bell, for Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger's top 300 yards his last two games against the Patriots, but only one touchdown in each. So we could see something like that. We could see something like a 21-24 to score, 21-28 to score wouldn't shock me in this spot. Um, so I think I'm a little more cautious about that game than probably others are. Obviously, I still like it quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are just taking the approach to jam and what they can from that game. And, I mean, Roethlisberger, you certainly can't argue with the, uh, the recent form. If you would have told me, even without Jimmy Smith, if you would have told me that he was going to throw for 500 yards against the Ravens, I would have laughed at you. Uh, but, alas, 506 yards for Roethlisberger last week. And you know, part of it has been that that pass defense showing cracks, like I mentioned. And uh, Hayden certainly would be a welcome return for them. The last four weeks, uh, they've been they've allowed eight point two yards per attempt and two hundred and seventy eight passing yards per game. And they've faced Marcus Mariota, Brett Hundley, Andy Dalton, and Joe Flacco in those four games. So uh, they better tighten that up if they want to contain Mister Brady. But uh, as we've seen, the Patriots the last few weeks, they've uh, they've hit the skids a little bit offensively. And in cash games, I can definitely see the argument with going with Russell Wilson with that uh, safe floor, as you mentioned. And that gets us kind of into the mid-range of quarterbacks where there are a ton of names. Um, Drew Brees, very polarizing discussion around him this week. I think I'm off just because we've seen New Orleans take that ground-and-pound approach so much this year. Alvin Kamara is going to play this week. And the Saints are massive home favorites over the Jets. I don't think the Jets can keep that game close. And, you know, if you do, if you think the Jets can can keep the game close, maybe it's a different discussion. I don't see it staying close, and it would surprise me if we get, you know, 35 pass attempts from Drew Brees in this game. I just don't see it. Uh, Garoppolo is the guy that kind of grabs my attention the most in this game. I've been very impressed uh, with what I've seen from him. The Titans are a weaker defense Uh, against the pass and i mean this is just a different san francisco offense right now tennessee is a playoff team right now and the 49ers are favored in this game this is a team that was one and ten a couple weeks ago so garoppolo at 6.3 some people might scoff at that price point but uh, i'll happily play him especially in tournaments this week Uh, so he's my favorite guy in the mid-range that 6k area how about yourself
2: Yeah, I agree with you completely on Breeze. This is a team that until they face, let's see who it was the last few weeks, Atlanta, Carolina, the Rams, Washington, teams that could put up points against them. Uh, Until then, Breeze had been held to about 30 pass attempts per game. This is a run-first offense. I mean, you look at Breeze's game logs, you're really just holding on to the past if you're just expecting him to smash in the spot. Obviously, he should post a good game. The matchup is good, but – you know with the saints as what 16 point favorites we expect them to be running the ball throughout the second half um and with Bryce Petty under center on the other side there's a low likelihood that this game stays close uh I agree with you on Garoppolo uh I think that Garoppolo to Marquise Goodwin is one of my favorite tournament stacks I used Marquise Goodwin in cash games last week over Sterling Shepard I just really like him a lot with Garoppolo under center and I think Cam Newton I mean it it's like, let's not try to predict what Cam will do. Matchup has not mattered for Cam. He's done great in some really tough matchups. He's done horribly in some really good matchups, but with Rogers playing, there's a chance that this game becomes high scoring, which could lead to Cam putting up points. I think that makes sense in uh, in tournaments. I think that Goff and Keenum make sense too. I mean, they're not guys I'm gravitating toward, but um, any of these guys could put up 20 points. I don't think that they're going to touch the, The 25 to 30 range we're looking at from Brady and Russ, that's obviously what we're targeting from them. And I think we can get 20 points a little cheaper than these guys. So I probably won't go there. But I think that in that range for me in tournaments, Cam is probably the one I'd be likeliest to side with just because of his his slate breaking upside.
1: Yeah, for sure. And against the Packers, I mean, this is a defense that has been ravaged by injuries in the secondary over the last month or so. And it wouldn't surprise me to see a ceiling game from Newton as well. Below that, so you're kind of in the value range, 5, 6K, below 6K. A uh, few options in here that I think are interesting. I'll give you a first crack at this, though. Who are you looking at on the value side?
2: I like Blake Bortles quite a bit. We can talk – people get concerned about volume with Bortles. I mean, the Jags are 32nd in passing play percentage, so they run more frequently than any other team in football. But they also run, I believe, their first or second or third in plays per game. I mean, their defense is so good. But they constantly have the ball, and and they throw the ball even when they're way ahead. They're basically preparing for the playoffs. They run their offense all game long. So Bortles is going to get his 30-pass attempts. Um, I like Bortles quite a bit. I believe it's 18-plus points in six of his last eight games. And then Nick Foles filling in for Carson Wentz in a really well-designed offense, really good weapons. I think we see him at around 30-pass attempts as well. I mean, this is already – uh they rank 26th in passing play percentage the eagles do this is a run heavy offense so i don't think that there's big concerns that volume is just going to be super low obviously they could blow out the giants that's a concern but i think that Foles will get his pass attempts i think either of these guys can get you 20 points so um, i'm very interested in both them as salary savers and i think that if i'm going up from them russ is the one i'm trying to get to because he's the guy i think could get you the 30-plus that you probably can't get from from Bortles and Foles. Do uh, you have any thoughts on those guys and then any other of these cheap options that I'm missing?
1: Yeah, I think the the interesting way to kind of break down Foles is how, how good is Carson Wentz versus how much of this is just the Eagles' offensive, offensive system being so successful? Like if you put Carson Wentz on the Ravens, how good would he be?
0: I
2: think, well, on the Ravens, that's
1: okay, true, right? Pick any team. I pick a team. I just threw, I threw my team out there. But, yes, the Ravens have no receivers. But, you know, put them on more of the middle-of-the-road pass offense.
2: Yeah, I think that that's a really interesting discussion. And what that also brings up is why do we think Foles is potentially really bad? It's because he was with Jeff Fisher right. where Case Keenum looked awful. Jared Goff look, looked awful. Um, so there's, there's ways to look at it on both sides. I do think Wentz is genuinely a very good quarterback. Um, But I also think that this system is is genuinely very good, and you know it's tough to separate coaching from quarterback play. We, you know, what 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 do you get if you put Brady on, um, on the Ravens or you know (laughs) like it's still Brady's still Brady, but you know he's going to be a top ten quarterback instead of the number one, number two quarterback in the league, Um, maybe top five quarterback. You know, but he's got to you got to build something with a team like that. I think that Foles can step in and do. Pretty well. I mean, it won't surprise me. I guess if he completely bombs, but um, but I'm looking at you know 17 to 20 points from him this week.
1: Yeah, and then I mean, you put him in the matchup as well. You got a Giants team that's given up on the season. Janoris Jenkins is on IR. Uh, Landon Collins, Pro Football Focus has Landon Collins as the number six safety uh, this year, and he's uh, doubtful for this week, so he's probably not going to be out there. So you're taking away basically the only two pieces that the Giants have in the secondary and there's not a whole lot of talent left there. So I think Foles at uh, at 5.5K on DraftKings. Some people have made the argument that that's a little bit overpriced considering you've still got guys like Gabbard, uh and Kaiser at the, the 5K mark, but uh, 5,500 is, is reasonable enough for me in this matchup with that offense. So Foles is the guy that grabs me the most. Um, rounding it out. I mean, any interest Gabbert was awful last week and that's one of the games, the Arizona Washington game that just kind of makes me go math this week. So not a ton of interest there. Uh, What about Kaiser against that Ravens defense, the Jimmy Smithless Ravens secondary that just gave up 500 passing yards to Roethlisberger last week?
2: I'm a little concerned about, uh, I mean, they still have Dean Pease designing this defense, calling the plays, they still have Terrell Suggs. They still have a good defense. Um, so I'm, I'm a little more on Josh Gordon than on Kaiser. Um, but, I, I mean, I don't hate it in tournaments. I think it's just, like, if we're talking high percentage plays, I don't think it's particularly likely to hit. But, obviously, Kaiser with his legs still has the upside to, to touch 25 points in this spot.
1: Yeah, and had a pretty good fantasy outing last week, especially in the first half. Uh, derailed in the second half with some mistakes and uh, cost the, the Browns their first win. And Hey, if the Browns would have won that game, we might not have Aaron Rodgers back this week. So that's uh, it's changed the dynamic of this week's slate in and of itself. Anybody else at quarterback that, uh, that remotely catches your eye or that you want to throw out there? I think we've covered most of mine. that's
2: yeah. That's the guys that I'm looking at as the ones we've talked about.
1: All right, let's pivot on over to running back where I think Le'Veon Bell deserves his own discussion here. And uh, I mean, he's 9.3 K on DraftKings hard to fit in a lineup with the salary structure this week. And I've heard arguments that you have to play either Bell or Brown. You can't fade both of them. It's a really tough decision in cash games because you just throw Le'Veon Bell onto your rosters before you've uh, put anybody else on there. And you're down to basically five K on average per player. And it goes to kind of what you were hinting at at the beginning of the show that you want to try to get a good player at every position. And, if you roster a Le'Veon Bell, and especially if you put one other high-priced player on that team, you're probably going to be reaching somewhere. You're going to be looking at a value play that maybe you don't find optimal just because you're trying to jam Le'Veon Bell into those lineups. I think he's fine. I certainly think that the the floor remains super safe, but especially as, as more of a cash game player, I really don't know what I would do with Le'Veon Bell if I was making one cash game lineup this week.
2: Yeah, I think that the the popular thing will be you auto lock in Le'Veon Bell and then just move on from there. And that's going to, like, it's going to make people feel like they're making a fish play if they don't play Bell. And I think we're going to see a lot of rosters with um, Nelson Aguilar, with Mike Davis, with someone like Jesse James, um, just with a lot of guys who you're hoping for, 10 points um we can get to those players too and and if you you know think those guys can get you 15 to 20 then that changes the discussion but if you're hoping for 10 points from these other guys to get 25 or 30 from Levion i do think that there's a, a strong chance that the optimal roster construction is to go mid-range across the board and there's mid-range guys because everyone's just auto locking in bell there's mid-range guys That are kind of going overlooked in the discussion latavius murray robert woods dd westbrook some of these guys who are in really great spots with uh, really great volume and so i think that there's i mean it's a tough it's a tough week there's a discussion a strong discussion to be made that you could actually just go 5k to 6500 across the board and give yourself a higher total ceiling than you get with bell but it's going to depend on what these popular cheap options do. I think if if Nelson Aguilar ends up being popular and puts up 15 to 20 points, then yeah, Bell ends up being the right play. Um, So yeah, I I don't think that it's not an auto lock for me. Obviously, Bell is the best individual play at running back, but I'm perfectly comfortable playing around with things. I I don't know where I'm going to go yet, but I'm playing around with things and definitely staying open to the idea of just going uh, mid-tier across the board.
1: Well let's circle we'll circle back to the mid-tier in a second. But if let's say if people are trying to play Le'Veon Bell and they're trying to maybe pair him with a value or or low to mid-range running back, and there's some guys in this range that I think are going to be uh say chalkier. You've got Kenyon Drake who's still pretty affordable on DraftKings. You've got Alex Collins who's looked really good for the Ravens the last month, uh still at 5k, even though Cleveland's been stronger against the run this year. They've been a little leakier lately. Uh, Mike Davis, if Seattle finally gets a a decent game flow and can give him more carries this week, those three guys are, I guess, in my opinion, the chalkier of the low to mid-range running backs. And those would be the people, the the backs that I think a lot of people will pair with Le'Veon Bell. Um, but you could, I mean, I wouldn't have a problem locking in a lineup with Drake and Collins, um on a point on a point per dollar basis with those kind of three guys, Drake at 5.8 K Collins at 5 K Mike Davis at 4 K. Is there a clear winner out of that group for you?
2: Yeah, I think Drake is the set and forget option of the week across all pricing, across all positions. Uh, I talk about a guy taking on the worst run defense in football. He's been getting 25 touches a game. He gets catches. This is basically there's Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell are the only guys who get a larger workload than Drake has gotten the last couple of weeks. Damian Williams is doubtful. So I think we can expect that to continue in the best possible matchup. So Drake is honestly should be priced at about 73, 7,400 given what he's done, what the matchup is, what his expected workload is. Uh, I'll throw another guy into the mix with Latavius Murray and I'll put him after Drake and I'll make my case for him right now. Um, The Bengals have faced the most rush attempts in the NFL. They've allowed the third most rushing yards. They have allowed the most opponent plays per game in the NFL. They're big underdogs. They are going to be missing Burfecht, who is their best defensive player. The Vikings are going to be without Kyle Rudolph, and Jarek McKinnon is dealing with a shoulder issue. So I think this sets up really well for Latavius, who's been getting two targets per game the last four games. Sets so up really well for 20 carries and maybe even something like, you know, what Frank Gore got last week, pushing 30 carries. I mean, if the Vikings have a huge lead and McKinnon's shoulder is an issue, we could just see them feed the ball to Murray to close out this entire game. Um, he's seventh in the NFL and carries inside the five-yard line, even though he was glued to the bench at the start of the season. So I love Latavius Murray in this spot. Uh, I would put him second, Collins third. And then Mike Davis fourth, and I like all these guys, Uh, Davis fourth, just because Seattle is still kind of an iffy uh, team to to target a running back on, obviously the matchup is good. So I'd be fine with any of these four guys. And I think that's why the discussion for me becomes interesting because I could take three of these guys feel like I can get 15 to 20 points from each and sure I miss out on Le'Veon, but this is where the best value is is at the running back position. Um, Whereas if you're targeting value at, Wide receiver, tight end—you're you're taking guys that you hope get ten to fifteen points. uh It's a totally different ball game there.
1: Yeah. So I mean, do these other guys go? So this brings us back to kind of the mid to high end range. Is everybody avoiding the Saints running backs this week? Uh, is everybody avoiding Todd Gurley against Seattle? I mean, these are guys that will probably go under own because of the reasons that we just talked about. And I, I've largely—I'll admit it i largely missed the boat on the Saints running backs this year. Uh, that was a whiff from me and. It, uh, they've sustained the production pretty much all year long. Kamara last week, notwithstanding, because he got hurt. Ingram had one bad game a couple weeks ago. Um, but you've got a game this week, we talked about it with Breeze, where the Saints are 16-point favorites. So you could very easily see both of these guys get 15 touches in this game. Um, you know, McCoy, again, not a, not going to be a priority play for a lot of people. And I probably won't play a lot of these guys either. But if you're looking for a lower-owned tournament play or you're fading Le'Veon Bell, um, do you do anything with kind of these six, high six, seven and eight K running backs?
2: I think in tournaments, you can definitely make a case. Uh, Kamara could outscore Bell. McCoy could outscore Bell. Gurley could outscore Bell. Uh, Ingram is probably the iffiest of the bunch just because his past game work is, you know, has been more sporadic, um, but obviously he could outscore Bell as well. I think you can make a strong case for, first off, you make a strong case that Bell is the best on paper play out of these guys. But if we bring in game theory and taking the cheaper guys who are are, you know, far lower likely far lower owned and could easily outscore Bell, I think you can definitely make a case for any of these guys. I think that um, you know, if we get down to like the the Burkeheads or the Jamal Williamses, like those are guys that I'm not as interested in because they're in that kind of tweener stage between Kenyon Drake and then this other great value and then these great high priced guys, but these high priced guys, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I probably won't end up going there just cause I don't think it's the optimal roster construction, but they are all very strong plays.
1: I do think it's interesting if the saints happen to get out to a big lead, if there is a chance that they might take it easy on Kamara coming back from the concussion and give Ingram a little bit more work. I have not read that anywhere. That is just a theory. Um, Again, Ingram at eight point two k is probably a little too steep for me, anyway. But I've heard that bantied about uh, a few places, but nothing official. I mean, if that game stays tight, we we could see kind of their normal distribution there, and uh, that's just a, just a theory in my head. But all these guys are probably going to be relatively low owned, and, and Jamal Williams. Interesting discussion. I don't think he necessarily. Hurt, uh, from Rodgers being back, I mean, could open up a, a few more lanes with that uh, passing offense carrying a little bit more life. Uh, but at 6.5K, I'll probably leave him this week and uh, and go with the guys that we've already talked about. So any other running backs that you've got? Uh, yeah,
2: one of the most, from what I've been hearing, uh, one of the guys who's like this to be really popular, especially in higher-dollar tournaments, is Samaj P. Ryan. Do you have any thoughts yeah, on him this week?
1: It's interesting because – and I was talking to Eric Crane about this earlier that, you know, with Washington, well, they lost Rob Kelly, and then they lost Chris Thompson, and then they lost Byron Marshall. There's basically not a whole lot of guys left. And I'm not sold on the fact that P. Ryan is 100% healthy at this point. I mean, he's not 100% healthy, but how healthy is he? He's basically the last man left standing there. Uh, I don't love this game. Like, if Arizona and Washington, if you said – I've got to pick out one guy that I have to take from this game. It's probably Larry Fitzgerald, but it's just a you've got two teams that are kind of playing out the string, four, low 40s total in this game. I just don't love it. Now, this is probably the game that will end up turning into a shootout and then I'll have egg on my face. But I understand the logic behind it because of the likely workload. I'm just concerned about you know how healthy is he at this point in the season and what can we expect offensively in this game. I just get the feeling that this game kind of might be a slog and I'll probably be underweight on, on P Ryan, but I do understand the reasoning behind it.
2: Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, Arizona's a top five run defense in in terms of yards allowed and uh, the workload's nice, but there's other guys getting that type of workload. I mean, obviously Kenyon Drake, I don't think that people are fading Kenyon Drake to use P Ryan, but uh, maybe people going with P Ryan, Drake and Bell, um, I think I would slightly prefer Latavius Murray over. I mean, all these guys we talked about. Slightly yeah. prefer Murray. Slightly prefer Collins. Slightly prefer Mike Davis. I think P Ryan's in in the discussion. And if somebody wanted to rearrange those guys in any order, I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't call you out on it. I wouldn't yeah. say that's not sharp. But um, but yeah, for me personally, P Ryan is is number whatever five on that list of those five value guys yeah Um,
1: and in in tournaments you know what I'll throw another name out there in tournaments I don't think it's a terrible idea to maybe take a shot on Jay Ajayi Uh, his snaps have kind of been trending upward the last three or four weeks still hasn't played on more than half the snaps so there is plenty of risk here but uh, if you buy the fact that the Eagles might give him a a, a few more looks uh, with the quarterback change because of Wentz's injury it's a great matchup against the Giants there's tons of risk, don't get me wrong. And there's other all these other guys we've talked about are certainly your safer plays in cash games. But I could see Ajayi having his best game as a member of the Eagles this week.
2: I like that call a lot in in tournaments for sure.
1: All right, let's pivot on over to wide receivers. Uh, where like the case with Le'Veon Bell at uh, running back, Antonio Brown is your highest priced wide receiver by a wide margin. On DraftKings, DeAndre Hopkins comes next, and uh, he is dealing with an injury. Hasn't practiced much this week and has to face that very vaunted Jacksonville secondary. So, again, it's a a one-man tier at the top with Antonio Brown, and uh, he's been red hot lately. I mean, Roethlisberger's surge has obviously been good things for Brown. Four straight 100-yard games, 200 yards last week against the Ravens. And the question becomes, again, can we fit him in at the top this week?
2: Yeah. And, and I mean, I think we're, it's pretty clear that he's the best play. Um, Stefan Gilmore is really not built to cover Antonio Brown. Um, You don't want to put a big guy like him on Brown, which leaves Malcolm Butler shadowing and Brown has gotten the better of Butler in the past. And Butler has had a pretty disappointing season this year. So even if, even if the Steelers have a hard time punching in touchdowns, even if their red zone woes continue against what has been a very good red zone defense, the catches, the yards are going to be there. Um, I think his worst game against the Patriots in, in their last three was about 22 DraftKings points. His best game was about 32. So, again, that's really what you're, you're looking for. I think with Bell and Brown, essentially if they top 35, you're in rough shape if you faded them because of how popular they will be. Um, if they get over 30, it's going to be a battle. Um, if these guys stay under 30, I think you're in good shape with the fade. So that's really what it comes down to as far as just because of how thin the value is this week. If, if you fade these guys and they get 25 to 30, look, you have to go in expecting 25 to 30 from these guys. You can't go in saying, yeah, they're going to have a bad game. Um, but just when you look at the slate as a whole, it might make more sense to skip over Antonio Brown. Um, and yeah, so I mean, I think that that's really what it comes down to is pricing. I don't think there's any reason to expect a, a disappointing game from him this week.
1: I totally agree. I mean, nothing much else to add uh, with that. Uh, he's been just amazing lately, getting tons of targets on a weekly basis. You've got the salary to do it. And maybe the roster construction favors Brown over Bell just because the, what you, the wide receiver spots are maybe a little bit harder uh, to fill with value guys this week, I can see that uh, that approach as well. And then we just we've got a pretty bunched middle tier after this. Uh, you've got Thielen, Michael Thomas. Uh, concerns about Thomas's workload with the Saints potentially taking a run heavy approach this week. You've got Cooks from this game. Kind of a a, a jumbled up mess of guys in here. That this might be the the area that makes or breaks rosters this week. Uh, which wide receiver two are, are you going to put into your lineups? So, or if you're going with three kind of mid-range wide receivers, what guys are you putting in from here? Uh, it's a really interesting conversation with these six and seven K wide receivers. Uh, I'll let you lead off with uh, some of the guys you like in here.
2: So I think Thomas, I'm not personally too concerned about volume. He's seen at least eight targets in all but one game this year. And kind of what the Saints have done, it's been weird, but um, even in these games where Breeze through 27, 28 times, mm-hmm. It's like they get the targets to Thomas first, uh, Thomas and Ingram and Kamara. And then after that, they get other guys involved. So I think that we still see Thomas get his eight plus targets no matter what. Thielen should get his eight to 12 targets no matter what. Um, Cooks is the guy I like the least just because he's not used much in the red zone. And when all of these receivers have been healthy, he's gotten around six to eight targets. So I think we're overpaying for the targets there. Obviously, a ton of upside. Uh, you mentioned Larry Fitzgerald. I think he's going to get 10 targets. I wish his price had dropped after his disappointing game last week, but uh, this Washington team has been beat up by receivers who are similar to Fitz, Doug Baldwin, Keenan Allen, Adam Thielen, all these guys who play about half their snaps to 75% of their snaps in the slot run similar types of routes. Um, and then we've got, you know, the Packers wide receivers, we've got Josh Gordon, we've got Devin Funches. Like there's so much in here. I think that, um, if I'm going to pick my favorites, it would be Gordon and Michael Thomas. I think Gordon, you're just going to see Kaiser continue to throw the ball up to him, and I think he'll go sort of overlooked. I probably wouldn't go there in cash games, but the upside's enormous in in tournaments. I have volume concerns with Cooks and Doug Baldwin. Obviously, um, upside is still there, but the floor is a little lower. And then, um, and then, obviously, with the Packers receivers, you're guessing, you know that Rodgers is going to look like himself. So I think that's a tournament play, a strong tournament play, but um, you have to consider the floor to be a little bit lower on those guys as well.
1: Yeah. The first thing I did when I opened up the slate this week was look at Jordy Nelson's price. Um, I, I was really curious to see what the sites would do with Jordy Nelson after he, he, he all but disappeared while Aaron Rodgers was out. And I don't hate the fact that he's 6.3 K on DraftKings because if Jordy Nelson was still 4.5 K Jordy Nelson's a free square this week. Everyone's playing Jordy Nelson with the lack of value. And, you know, he's 50, 60% owned. At 6.3K, uh, everyone's really going to have to think about whether they want to roster Jordy Nelson. And Devontae Adams at 6.8K, that price doesn't surprise me uh, since Adams was basically the guy with Hundley under center. Uh, but Nelson at 6.3. I think it's really interesting to see where people will go with him. I could see his ownership being 5%. I could see it being 15 or 20%. Uh, I think Jordy Nelson's a real wild card this week based on what people expect from Aaron Rodgers. So in tournaments, I don't mind the play. I don't think at that price I would play him in cash games, but I do understand the logic. And uh, I think we both like Fitzgerald a good bit. And his down game last week was not Larry Fitzgerald's fault. Gabbert was terrible last week. He overthrew him on a wide open play that should have been a touchdown. I mean, that's Gabbert sometimes. It, it happens. But uh, I think at 6.9K with you, that I wish his price would have come down a little bit. But uh, he's definitely the, the safe play in that, uh, that grouping for me. A lot of people will go to Cooks just because they're, they want to get exposure to that game. Uh, Josh Gordon another guy that you mentioned I, I think is intriguing uh, was arguing uh, about this with some people too that uh, were sure his ownership was going to be under 10% this week I took the over on 10% and I tried to use the roto grinders projected ownership to uh, break the tie and we have him at exactly 10% so <laughs> I, I guess Josh Gordon's going to come in somewhere around 10% this week but that Baltimore secondary, I mean, without Jimmy Smith, they're going to give up some big plays. They don't have anybody to match the athleticism of Gordon. And e- even if you don't trust Kaiser to put up a big game, I mean, I, I think the odds are pretty high that Gordon at least breaks a big play in this one.
2: Yeah. I think that's a good call on that one. Um, and then uh, on the Fitzgerald thing for anybody who's concerned about, you know, last week I ended up using the Titans defense uh, realizing it was late Saturday night. Just if you look at their game logs, what they've done against bad quarterbacks compared to good quarterbacks, they've done great against bad bad quarterbacks or inexperienced quarterbacks. And when you think about the Dick LeBeau as their defensive coordinator, that makes a lot of sense. The Titans don't need a ton of talent to confuse a bad quarterback, and that's what happened with Gabbert last week um, with Garoppolo under center. I mean, I, I I'm switching to a different game now, um, but with uh, Gabbert no longer facing um, Dick LeBeau and a Dick LeBeau defense I think that we should see him get back on track this week and again the slot is where you attack Washington so um, should be a good week for Fitzgerald
1: all right uh, I mentioned Garoppolo there for a second obviously good one at 6k we kind of touched on when we talked about Garoppolo a little bit uh, just super impressive with the way that they've used him for a larger uh, you know different types of routes he's not just a a go route guy anymore uh, even against the bears a couple weeks ago when they said garoppolo was working with a limited playbook uh goodwin ran you know a very large route tree caught all eight of his targets in that game got 12 targets last week uh went over 100 yards and you got to think that the big play the touchdown is coming good matchup against tennessee this week so at 6k he's a guy that i like a lot um if we look at guys that are probably going to be popular this week, uh, Jarvis Landry on DraftKings always tends to get some attention in the mid-range there. Uh, D.D. Westbrook has his share of truthers, and I'll let you talk a, a little bit about what you think on the Jaguars, guys, since you are on Bortles a little bit this week. But there's not a ton of value to be found at wide receivers. So when you're in, you get into these 5K guys – I mean, this is kind of where it starts to to really dwindle. So if you're looking for maybe a, a third wide receiver and a flex play from this group, I mean, maybe you take two guys from this 5K range. Uh, it, it just, it gets pretty thin pretty quick.
2: Yeah, I'm going to dig in tonight and just see if I can find anything I love cheaper to to break open this slate for me. But as of right now, there's nothing below 5K that I feel safe with. And so these guys kind of become the value receivers in this range, I think, you know, Marquise Lee, like I said, I, I'm not concerned about volume for Bortles. He's going to throw 30 times. Uh, Lee, and it, when he wasn't being covered by Patrick Peterson, if we take out that game, he's averaged 9.6 targets per game across his last five. D.D. Westbrook has averaged nine targets per game across his last three. These guys are getting looks. You're you know talking about paying 7K or, or close to 7K for six to eight targets from Brandon Cooks or for um, six or seven targets from Devin Funches, which is where he's been the last month and a half, where well, you can get nine targets for D.D. Westbrook or nine targets for Marquise Lee. So I think these guys make a lot of sense. Uh, nobody believes in, in Robert Woods. I don't get it. Um, I had him in, in cash games the week that he went for 40 points and he was 2% owned in cash games. I mean, this is Sean McVeigh, This is Sean McVeigh using Robert Woods in that Pierre Garcon role He's going to get his eight to 10 targets. He had a shoulder injury that wouldn't have affected his, um, his ability to stay in shape. So in this game that I think is going to shoot out, I think Robert Woods is a really sneaky play that really should be chalk, but because people are still hanging on to their thoughts about Robert Woods from the past, no one's really on him 5,700. I think we see eight to 10 targets. So that's another thing about the idea of going mid range. It's not just that it works out well this way. It's that, I, there's a lot of plays that I like in this range. I, um, I think those Jaguars receivers and Woods are the guys who jump out to me the most, but you can make, and, and again, you know, most viewers know I'm a volume for sucker uh, sucker for volume. <laughs> um, so, you know, these guys are going to get eight plus targets in this cheap range. I love that. Um, so if that's not the way you look at things, that's fine. But uh, Jarvis Landry, another one you mentioned should get 10 plus targets. He's third in the NFL in targets per game. So, just a lot to like down here um, from a volume standpoint that you're not getting from those higher priced guys.
1: If Patrick Peterson's going to shadow Doxson this week, any interest in Crowder at 5.6K?
2: Yeah, it's weird how few targets he's been getting lately. You know, he has 13 across the last two weeks. I'm not concerned about the matchup against Tyron Matthew in the slot. Um, if he gets eight to 10 targets, I think he turns into a great play. I'm a little. Iffy on the targets being there, I feel safer with these other guys, but I think the Crowder is definitely in the conversation as well.
1: All right, uh, we get below 5K, like you mentioned. There's not a lot of guys down here. Um, with Juju Smith-Schuster likely coming back this week after his suspension, although I think he did draw a questionable tag, that kind of takes the shine away from Martavis Bryant. Uh, you hit on Aguilar a little bit earlier in the show. Just a question of again, if you're a sucker for volume, he's not really the guy that's uh, that's going to be getting. Uh, 15 he's got 23 targets the last two games but uh, that that's a bit of an anomaly when you consider his season as a whole uh, Corey Coleman at 4.4k if you're looking to fade Josh Gordon I suppose there's some upside there but again none of these guys are particularly safe uh, the floor is pretty low on on basically everyone once you get below 5k so it's hard to find a cash game play down here uh, is there a, a close-your-eyes-and-stomach guy that uh, that you're maybe thinking about clicking on?
2: Yeah, if you want to play a good play at every position, and obviously in tournaments, you can be willing to take on a lower floor with a good play. Uh, there's three guys that I think are viable. and And what I mean by that is, sure, you can just guess on guys and get something right. But if you're saying, this guy has a clear shot at a good game, uh, the three guys are Aguilar, you mentioned the, the targets last couple of weeks, went through, I think, 45 passes per game on average the last two, uh, and really was averaging 30 passes per game all season. So in a game, the Eagles should win easily. We should expect lower volume, expect around five targets. But if Aguilar sees five to seven, he could post a good game. Corey Coleman is another one, uh, has the talent to just blow up on six to eight targets, which he should get. And then Devontae Parker is the other one, in tournaments only, but but he had two games against New England, who were selling out to take him out of the game, and a game against Denver. Two of those games were also with Matt Moore, who prefers Kenny Stills. Before that, Parker had eight targets in all six healthy games with Cutler. So I think we see him bounce back to eight targets this week. Uh, The matchup isn't great. Parker hasn't played great this year. Cutler's not a great quarterback, but... If he sees eight targets at 4,200, that's a potential tourney-winning play right there that uh, just a couple of weeks ago would have been super high-owned at, say, 6K, and now at 4,200, nobody's going to be on him.
1: Yeah, I think that's an interesting call myself uh, to, at that price. He's kind of, He was the guy at the beginning of the year that, oh, Jay Cutler loves Devontae Parker, and he was the guy that everyone was gravitating towards the beginning part of the season, and, of course, uh, that offense derailed a bit. Uh, injuries, ineffectiveness, what have you, have uh, slowed him down, but it's uh, that's a, that's a discount price tag on a week where there's not a lot of value, and uh, that pretty much takes us through the wide receivers, so we'll go through some tight ends, some defenses, a couple of stacks, and get out of here. Rob Gronkowski back this week, perhaps a needed boost to that Patriots offense that has struggled the last two weeks, but uh, again, with salary at a premium, seven point three k for for Gronk—that's a pretty penny to spend. And this is a position where people really like to to go for value. So you've got an interesting uh, dichotomy there. And really, on the other side of this game, I mean, Jesse James is uh, a guy that I, I think people are going to be looking at. Was very involved last week against the Ravens. Twelve targets. Vance McDonald got hurt in that game. And he's 2.9K, so the two tight ends in this top game of the week, you've got the most expensive tight end at 7.3K in Gronk, and then you've got a dirt cheap guy in Jesse James. And then, of course, we've got uh, everything in the middle there. So uh, lay out your kind of landscape looking at the tight end group this week.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to need your help on tight end because Gronk is the only guy, if we're just looking at raw points and projections, he's the only guy I actually like. But 7,300 at a position where guys tend to be super underpriced. Uh, If we compare Gronk to the $7,300 wide receivers, I think he's a great play. Ryan Shazier is out. That should make this matchup a little bit easier on Gronk. Uh, Gronk is the guy likeliest to put up points for the Patriots. So, in that sense, he's a good play. In the sense that there's not a lot of value this week, and tight end is usually the best place to find value, it's tough to justify spending that much Um, Jesse James you know you're basically touchdown or bust because he rarely tops 20 or 30 yards Uh, no Vance McDonald helps you know he's
1: not going to go 10 for 97 again (laughs) I mean
2: Roethlisberger threw it 66 (laughs) times last week I guess we can still say probably 40 pass attempts for Roethlisberger I mean that could get James six or seven targets at 2900 but yeah, I, I think he makes sense. I think you're rostering him, hoping for, you know, six to ten points, unless he scores a touchdown, and then you spike up from there. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, a tight end is definitely the position I'm least enthusiastic about. You have any any thoughts that can help me along here?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's if you can fit him in, obviously Gronkowski is is the guy. And uh, right now we have. In our projected ownership, we have Jimmy Graham as the highest-owned tight end, which I don't know as if I'm super jazzed about. I mean, he's a guy that uh, he's battled injury all year. seems like he's been questionable every week. And the the overall, the yardage just hasn't been there for him. Obviously, the red zone looks and the touchdowns are great. But if you're looking for a safe cash game tight end and, and Graham doesn't find the end zone, I mean, he's been a bust this year outside of those touchdowns so I don't know if I feel super great about that I mean you got a guy in Greg Olson that can't stay on the field so even at 4k he's not really an option right now and that just takes you down into and then we're into the 3ks unless you're going to trust I mean Ertz who's been hurt and and has a quarterback change Uh, Evan Ingram against a good defense when the the giant he's kind of dropped off for the Giants lately so I can see how this is a difficult position to, to navigate. I mean, Vernon Davis at 3.9 K is a reasonable price tag, but uh, Charles Clay should get some targets that that game in Buffalo last week was wonky because of the weather. So throw last week out. Uh, I've seen some arguments for Charles Clay. Uh, I know you wrote a little bit about uh, David Njoku in your article this week. And he's a guy who let a lot of people down a week ago. I don't think there's going to be a consensus here at tight end because some people are going to be afraid to pay up for Gronk at that price tag and then I see I think you're going to see people take a whole lot of differing opinions uh, with these other guys and I don't think there's a slam dunk in the group I'm with you.
2: Yeah, so Jimmy Graham is is touchdown or bust. You hit on it. It's if he scores uh, and you know, granted this isn't fluky, he leads the NFL in red zone targets, leads the NFL in targets inside the 10-yard line. But if he does not haul in one of these touchdowns, he could really hurt your team. Delaney Walker is interesting. San Francisco has been great against tight ends, um, but you can bet on volume. He's seeing five to nine targets every game. Uh, And then Vernon Davis, I think he's caught seven of his last 16 targets from Kirk Cousins. He's totaled 41 yards in his last three games. Evan Ingram's caught eight of his last 20 passes from Eli Manning. There's just a lot of ugliness. I mean, I think that it's fine to go with Jesse James because of how ugly things are. Uh, Njoku is obviously a ton of upside in tournaments, but a very low floor. It's an ugly position. I mean, we're not going to give people any any sort of magic clue this week that uh, that breaks open the tight end position. I think it's it's kind of struggling with, with these ugly options. And um, I think I would take James over guys like Julius Thomas charles clay just because i think the volume will be a little bit higher and uh, on a ppr side at 2900 if you just get those four or five catches that helps right there yeah. um but uh but yeah i think that he's probably the safest cash game play which is crazy to say but if you can't make it up to gronk that probably is the one that makes the most sense uh i hate to put too strong of an endorsement behind jesse james and cash games but uh but yeah i mean with with how this breaks down He's the safest play, and then I think you can just branch in other directions and turnies and realize that all these guys have a low floor and just kind of target ceiling.
1: Yeah, I hope to hope you get the guy that maybe gets a couple of touchdowns. But if you're if you're fading Le'Veon Bell, I mean the, the path of doing that to, to getting Gronk in your lineup, I think is is the the way the math might work out there uh, if Gronk comes back and you know makes a statement this and week. I, and I think that's
2: kind of the point too is yeah. if you fade if you fade Bell to fit in a better overall team. I don't think it makes sense to say, all right, and I'm going to squeeze in Michael Thomas or I'm going to squeeze in, uh, like in tournaments, sure, you can say Kamara or Gurley or one of these guys who will be lower owned. But uh, if you're saying I'm going I'm to go mid-tier to fit in a better top to bottom team, you go Robert Woods, you go D.D. Westbrook, you go one of these 6K wide receivers, you go Gronk. Um, I think that's the way to do it because then you have a, a play at each position that could genuinely get you 15 to 25 points.
1: Totally agree. All right, let's uh, move to defense here, wrapping it up for tonight. And with with teams giving up on the season, playing their younger guys and some mismatches out there, there are so many uh, defenses that are in great spots here. You've got Jacksonville at home against TJ Yates and Houston. You've got New Orleans at home against Bryce Petty. Uh, you've got the Ravens taking on a winless Cleveland team. You've got the Vikings large home favorites over Cincinnati I am usually on team, it's okay to save on defense, but there are four or five elite defenses this week that are in prime spots. And I know production from defensive units is extremely variable. So I think it's a really interesting conversation this week because there are, it would really surprise me if one of these four top defenses Uh, Doesn't put up a a huge score this week, and and you can maybe throw the Eagles against the Giants in that mix as well. Uh, But on a week where the cap is tight, a lot of people are going to just say, "Well, I'm used to punting defense, and I need to punt defense this week." But boy, is there some of these top teams that are in good spots here.
2: I think that's part of the interesting Le'Veon Bell discussion too, because you have—I've heard a lot of people talking about the Redskins against the Cardinals. I mean, when was the last time that people? Rostered Washington's defense and, and felt great about it. Got a great score. So if you take, let's say, nobody who rosters Bell, most people who roster Bell won't be able to fit in the Jags, right? Yep. And so you got to consider: all right, Bell, Agalor, Washington, or you know, Bell Woods or, or Jarvis Landry. Since I guess most people aren't as high on Woods as I am, uh, or not Bell, but a cheaper running back, Jarvis Landry and the Jags defense, something like that. I think that, like you said, defensive scoring is unpredictable. So that's tough to just say, yeah, you're getting a higher floor and ceiling. But, you know, Jags, fewest yards allowed, fewest points allowed, most sacks, most takeaways. Houston is bottom three in in giveaways, bottom three in sacks allowed. Now they have TJ Yates under center. If you get 20 points from Jacksonville, that's more than making up for the drop from – Le'Veon Bell down to Latavius Murray or Le'Veon Bell down to Mike Davis or whoever you like as your number number three guy in that lower tier, um, assuming that other people go Bell, Drake, and another cheap running back, and you instead go, you know, Drake, cheap running back, cheap running back. If you get a good score from a 6K wide receiver and get a good score from the Jags defense, you end up out scoring these people who take Washington. I think that the whole slate's going to hinge on what these chalky cheaper guys do it's going to be who becomes the chalk for everybody jamming in bell and uh and then you know how do those guys perform and i'm saying all of this as if i'm definitely fading bell i'm not definitely fading bell but i think that's just the the core conversation to have on this slate and how the entire slate breaks down roster construction breaks down without bell and with bell so i think that it's interesting you can definitely fit in the Jags with. Hopefully, a floor of twelve points in this spot and upside for twenty to twenty-five. Uh, I think it makes it makes sense. It makes for an interesting conversation. Um, what about cheaper defenses? Are there any any cheaper defenses that you feel comfortable with this week? Because there's not for me.
1: Yeah, no, not in that two K range. I mean, I do in tournaments. If you're if you're looking to uh, to get some correlation plays, you talked about Latavius Murray a good bit earlier. I think uh, pairing him with the Vikings defense <clears throat> on some tournament rosters is a really interesting way to go this week. Uh, the Vikings will get ignored a little bit compared to, you know, Jacksonville at the top, New Orleans, uh, Baltimore will get some attention. Uh, we've got the Vikings projected lower than those teams in terms of ownership. So I like that play, but they're not cheap at 3.5K either. I mean, you mentioned the Redskins possibly being chalky. It was just a week ago, everyone wanted to still play Blaine Gabbard, and now they turned on him after that uh, performance last week. But, yeah, you're basically hoping for a touchdown from, from one – if you're going – if you're punting defense, you're hoping – for a touchdown and I don't really see anybody down there that I love this week either.
2: Yeah, like uh, a floor of a floor of four or five points and then if you get some extra sacks or a touchdown, yeah. You're sitting pretty with these cheaper defenses.
1: Well, I mentioned Latavius Murray and and the Vikings defense as a possible correlation play this week. We'll uh, touch on a couple stacks here before we get out of here. Who are you looking at to to stack up together for some correlations this week?
2: Uh, I'll give you a chalky one and uh, a contrarian one I think contrarian is to stack the Seahawks and Rams game and just go all out uh, similar to what people did with the uh, with the Seahawks and Eagles last week I was sitting with uh, currently winning of 68,000 until the fourth quarter of the uh, Eagles Rams game last week and a bunch of people passed me and knocked me down a couple rungs. I think that this is the sort of spot where we could see a similar setup with two teams that need this game for playoff positioning back and forth. I think while everybody else focuses on new England and Pittsburgh, there's a lot of upside to going, you know, throw Russ, throw Robert Woods, throw Todd Gurley, throw another Seattle player on there and, um, and see what sort of upside you can grab. Um, And then for, more conventional, I guess I'll go uh, Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams. I think that's a really interesting tourney play, or you could go Jordy Nelson. You're relying on touchdowns from these guys, but obviously um, they can get touchdowns. Jordy had six in five games earlier this year, and uh, and Devontae had four in six games with, with Rodgers. So you can definitely get those touchdowns from those guys.
1: I will add uh, one that I know we both like with Jimmy Garoppolo and Marquise Goodwin out there this week. Uh, we'll have plenty of exposure to that combination uh, with my tournament roster. So, with that, we've navigated our way through the week 15 slate. I am 100% on time. It's been great. Uh, JM, happy to do a show with you here tonight and fill in for Levitan. Hopefully, I uh, filled in capably for him.
2: It's always fun, to, man. Always fun to hang out on Friday night. Fun to have you on the show this week. Uh hopefully Levitan's uh resting up from his big loss today in the the mile race. <laughs>
1: hey, he would have beat me, that's for sure. All right, everybody. <laughs> we're gonna get out of here for JM to win. For our producer, Simon Edwards behind the scenes. Thank you, Simon. I am Justin Van Zuden. Have a great weekend, everybody. Good luck in week 15, and uh we will see you later, everybody. Take care.